right. Hey, good morning, Three Circle. Great to be with you guys and all of our campuses joining us online right now. We got Robertsdale, Daphne. We have our friends in Midtown Mobile, Thomasville, man. God is doing great things at all of our campuses and those joining us online. We're going to dive into the Word of God today as we do every single week. This summer, we're doing the water series. In the first four weeks, we looked at refreshing water. And now we'll do week three today of what we're calling the rough water section. And rough water is a part of life, isn't it? We all deal with the rough water. And what we're learning through this series is that rough water is important too. Refreshing water nourishes us, but God chooses to grow us in the rough water. The rough water is actually good for us in the end. And today we're going to look at another place in the Bible that's going to help us understand that. We're going to go to the book of Isaiah. And I, I think that these verses are just like jet fuel for the Christian life, okay? Like I hate, I hate to over, like I can oversell stuff. People that know me well will be like, you oversold that restaurant or you oversold that. And I just get excited about stuff. I love that I'm in a safe place right now. As an overseller, I cannot oversell the Bible to you, okay? I never can. I can't oversell how awesome this is. So we're just going to look at some scriptures from Isaiah, and like, they're awesome. They're awesome, and you're going to see the gospel in the Old Testament. It's there. It's on every single page. Today, you're going to see it again in Isaiah. You're going to see the gospel, the message of Christ that we hold so dearly to. It's going to be here. It's going to remind us of why we don't have to fear rough water when it comes. So let's dive in to the book of Isaiah, and then we're just going to slowly unpack it. Isaiah 43, 1 through 3 says this, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I pray today that you would speak to us and that you would transform us by your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let's dive in and begin to kind of unpack these verses that we're looking at today. The central feature of this passage is not what you think it is. Because you tend to look at it and you think, oh, there it is. Rivers that can overwhelm us. Waters that become overwhelming. Uh, fire that can burn us. But that is not the central feature. The central feature is a command and then a reason for the command. It's sitting right in the middle of the thing. And it's this. Fear not. First of all, it's a command. Fear not. And then the reason we're not supposed to be afraid, for I have redeemed you. I want that to become really clear to you. We're not supposed to be afraid as believers of what we are going to face. You will face rough water. You will face the fire. It is coming. Notice it says here, when you pass through, not if. It's not if you pass through the fire, you will. It's not if you pass through the water, you will. But the Bible is promising you, you do not have to be afraid if you are a part of the redeemed. Now, if you're not redeemed in Christ, be afraid. Be very afraid. Like, seriously. I'm just being honest with you. If you don't know Jesus, you should be afraid of the economy. It's pretty crazy. Like, when you pump $5 gas into your car, be afraid. Be very afraid. If you don't know Jesus, you don't have a reason for confidence without Jesus. 
I don't know where politics are going. I don't know where world geopolitics are headed. I don't know where the next war is going to take place. Getting hot outside. I don't know when the next big hurricane is going to come boiling out of the Gulf of Mexico. We don't know what circumstances are coming our way. But if you are called the redeemed, if you have come to God through Jesus, the Bible says you don't have to be afraid. But the purpose or the point of your fearlessness is not your uh, managing of those circumstances. Notice, it's not that you can swim well. That's not why you don't have to be afraid. Don't be afraid of the waters. You're a good swimmer. doesn't say that. It doesn't even say that God will help you be a better swimmer. The reason you are not to be afraid of the water and not to be afraid of the fire is that you have been redeemed. Christians can live fearlessly because they've been redeemed by God, because he has redeemed us. We can have hope. We can have confidence in him. I have, if you come to my backyard, I have a dog. He's a cool dog. His name's Gus. He's a happy little boykin spaniel. If you walk up to him and raise your hand, he's going to do two things. He's going to roll over on his belly, and he's going to open his mouth. It's because humans, when they lift their hand around him, are coming in to scratch his belly and give him a treat. You know what I mean? He knows. He's like, oh, you're a human. This is what humans do. They scratch my belly and they give me a treat. So he just does both at the same time, right? Now, if you walked into my backyard and lifted your hand and my dog did did this number and recoiled, he'd be telling you something, wouldn't he? He'd be telling you that humans normally hit me or humans normally come at me. But my dog won't do that. He'll be like, oh, I like humans, which is going to be bad. If a bad guy ever does show up, he's going to be like, where's my belly rub? He's like taking everything out of my house. When you're done taking everything from the family, come out here and rub my belly. You know what I mean? That's what he's used to. And see, but but a dog that recoils is telling you, listen, when we as Christians recoil against every rough water we run into and when we become fearful of every fire that burns in front of us, we tell the world that we don't have a great God. But we do have a great God. So when Christians stand fearlessly, no matter what we're facing, what we say to the world with how we react to our circumstances is, this God we serve is faithful. He is trustworthy. He is a great God. That's why we're not afraid. It's our greatest testimony. And so God commands us as the redeemed, don't be afraid. You will face the water. You will face the fire. But don't be afraid, I have redeemed you. And in these verses, I see the gospel. The gospel's on every page of the Bible. It's one of the reasons of many that I believe this is the holy word of God. One of the reasons is for all of those years and all of these books and all of those authors in different cultures, different backgrounds, different times, they write all of these things, they become compiled by the Holy Spirit, and there's this thread running through the whole thing. There's this magnetic force of Jesus in the gospel holding the whole thing together. It is amazing, isn't it? And here in Isaiah, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus, will go to the cross and complete the work for us. Here it all is. Here is the gospel. And what I see here, the reason we shouldn't be afraid today, the reason I believe this is so encouraging, when you leave church today, you're going to be like, oh man, like y'all should all just kind of just do a praise dance all the way to your car afterwards at all of our campuses. And Robert Stell, just praise dance your way right down to Guru's Hamburgers, you know, at our Robert Stell campus. All the way there. Because they're good. Here's, here's why we should not be afraid. Because believers are, according to these verses, we're saved, we're sustained, and we're loved. 
And because of that, we do not have to live in fear. Believers do not have to live in fear because we're saved, we're sustained, and we're loved. So we do not have to live in fear. Fear is paralyzing. Fear messes up your testimony to the world. Fear says that, that God has, has not been faithful to us, but we don't have to live that way because he has promised us we're the redeemed. We're saved, we're sustained, and we're loved by God. Let's just slowly walk through this. The first thing we see in these verses that we're saved by God. Here's three marks of gospel salvation that come very clearly out of Isaiah here. We'll, progressive revelation, we believe the Bible keeps revealing more and more clearly all the way to the end who God is and the, salvi- the salvation work of God. So we see here way back in Isaiah three huge pieces of the gospel. And the first one is we don't save ourselves. And we think that came along with Jesus. No, that's always been true. Listen to what he says. Fear not, I have redeemed you. You didn't redeem yourselves. You know, he's originally talking to Israel here. Lord knows they didn't save themselves. And you didn't either. The book of Ephesians says, for we are not saved by our works. We're saved by grace through faith. Because if you were saved by works, if you could have saved yourself, you would brag about it. We would compare ourselves to one another. You'd be proud of it. You'd be like, when did you get saved? 1998. Well, I got saved in 1997. What's wrong with you? (laughs) That's how we are. But we can't. Watch this. This is why the gospel, the greatest way to get you and I as Christians to be more generous, more kind, more loving, more grateful, more more good to people, all those things, is, is us looking at the gospel over and over again. Not a sermon series on generosity, not a sermon series on kindness, even though those would be great. They won't do half as much good as just you looking at the gospel over and over again because when we're reminded over and over again that we didn't save ourselves but God saved us, we become extremely grateful people. When we realize we would have never chosen God, that he chose us, we become extremely thankful people. We're humbled by it. We realize we don't, we're not owed anything. And we live fearlessly because we realize the greatest obstacle we ever had was taken care of 2,000 years ago on a hill outside of Jerusalem when Jesus died. So that's who we are. And all of that is born out of the gospel. So we did not save ourselves. Secondly, we have, if we're a part of the redeemed, a personal relationship with God. Look what he says. I know you by name. He knows your name. I just want to go where everybody knows my name. All the 80s people are like, uh-huh. All the 2000s people are like, y'all old. People know your name. That's, that's kind of cool, right? Like I... I got to go to uh, a Saints football game a few years ago. Let me tell you what did not happen. My favorite quarterback, Drew Brees, did not come on the field and go, Chris, Chris Bell, what's up, man? <laughs> he didn't even know I was there. He does not know me. I ran into his coach one time of my favorite team, the Saints. I ran into him and uh, Sean Payton. We were in Destin, Florida on vacation. Sean Payton walked into Pete's place. I was sitting there. Let me tell you what did not happen. Sean Payton did not walk over to my table and go, Chris, what's going on? How you doing? Because Sean Payton and Drew Brees do not know my name. But God does. And he knows your name. 
You are not forgotten. You're not just a number. You're not just a person in the crowd. No, God has you on his mind. He knows you. He knows you personally. He knows the hairs on your head or the hairs you don't have on your head. He knows everything about you. He knows every mistake you've ever made and still loves you and still cares for you and still says you are mine. It is personal with him. Now, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I feel, I'm very committed as a dad, but I'm not a perfect dad. Let me give you an example. Like, my, you know, if, if my kid's playing baseball and he hits a home run, I, everybody's going to know that's my son. Within a few seconds, it's like I hit that home run. You know what I mean? And I couldn't have hit that home run in a million years anymore. He did. He, it was all him, but I'm letting everyone in the crowd know that's my boy. My boy did that. Yeah, that's mine. That's my C-B-E-L-L on the back of the jersey, right? You know what's weird, though? When he strikes out, I don't do the same thing. I'm not like, that's my boy. That's my boy. Let that curve slide by him right there. Missed it by six inches. That's my boy. See that? B-E-L-L. Strike out, baby. I'm just being honest with you. Here's, the, here's something really great about God. On your worst days, he claims you, he loves you, you are his. And on your best days, it's not moral, it's the same. It is consistent because his grip on you is greater than your grip will ever be on him. And he knew you were going to be a project when he got into this thing with you. (laughs) He knew it. My wife and I bought a house in our early days of being married in Atlanta, Georgia. going to be a fixer-upper, and I'm not good at that stuff anyway, so what were we thinking? But we did. And we bought it knowing it was a project, but it was one of those things where we didn't know just how much of a project it was till we got in there. Really started looking at it, and we were like, man, this is real. Have any of you ever bought a house that, that had some issues? And, and if you haven't, be blessed. I took that for you. I took one for the team. It was a lot of work. But God is under no uh, illusions when he comes into this thing with you. He chose you when you were still a mess. And he still sustains and loves you while you're still a mess. There was only one perfect one. And Jesus did on the cross what you and I could never do. He died once and for all, the perfect one for a bunch of imperfect ones. He knew. And he loves you. And it's personal for him. You're his. That's why he says you're mine. Thirdly, we belong to our father. We belong and nothing can pull us out of his hands. The gospel is dripping off these pages of Isaiah. The gospel, our message, our hope, the gospel, there it is. You are mine, God says. You belong to me. Nothing's ever going to change that once you are in Christ. Nothing you do can separate you from the love of God. Nothing anyone else does can separate you from the love of God. Even death can't separate you from the love of God. That's how great the love of God is. One of the biggest deterrents to sin in the Christian's life is for you to over and over again revisit the love of God for you. Because the more you see clearly how much he loves you, the less and less you will ever want to sin against him. More and more you'll say, why would I ever sin against this God? Why would I ever want to disobey him? He tells me to do it, I'll do it. Because I know he always has my best in mind. He loves me. That's how good God is. You are mine. And you don't stop being his. He knew you were a project. Look, let me tell you how it works in my house. I got three kids. They're not perfect. Just like I wasn't a perfect kid. Could you imagine if my kids messed up, if they broke a rule, or if they didn't do something I told them to do? And I walked in and I said, hey, didn't I tell you to clean your room up? Yeah. You didn't clean it up, right? No, no. Well, here's the deal. Can't live in this house anymore. 
Like, what? Yeah, you're, you're done. Mom and I have set it up. There's some people down the road that you can go live with. But you're not in this house anymore. But dad, don't butt dad me. Like, this is like four or five times this has happened. So there's a limit, and you're done. And, and uh, look, if you want the next family to keep you, you better <laughs> start keeping the rules. You're out. We'll see you. No, that doesn't happen, does it? That doesn't happen, and I'm an imperfect dad. The Bible tells us that God is our perfect father, so he's not kicking. So if you've got this theology that says that you didn't earn your salvation, but you sure do earn to keep it, if that's your, your, listen, you'll be the most insecure Christian in the world. I lived that. I lived that life for a long time. But one day reading the scriptures with the help of some others, it burst off the pages into my heart, my soul, and my mind that I couldn't earn my way to Jesus and I couldn't even earn my way to staying with him, that he had gripped me in the hands of grace and his nail-scarred hands weren't letting go of me and listen that I could follow him and know that I could be secure in him that changed my life that changed my life I mean as a middle schooler I thought every time a pretty girl walked by oh gotta get saved again man my mind you know what I mean just being honest with you as a kid you're like man I can't get it right every time I would say something that wasn't true as a kid Christian I would think oh man I was so insecure as a Christian I just didn't realize there was nothing that could separate me from the love of God. Oh, now the retort to this will be, that's easy believism, man. That's too much grace. You're giving people too much grace. If you teach people that, they'll go sin and sin and sin, and you have missed the point of the gospel. Because when people realize the gospel is that great and that Jesus is that good, their desire to sin will continue to go down and down and down and down the power of grace it's the power of the gospel and it's right here in Isaiah I don't know if y'all are having fun but I am so far okay we belong to our father and we're sustained by God I see that in these scriptures he not only saves us he sustains us see when the rough water comes God does too church that's what I want you to know I want to spend a few moments talking to you about the presence of God now we've talked about the saving work of God for us in these verses. Now let's look at sustaining. He says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. He never once says that he will calm the waters. He never once says he will cool off the fire. What he does say is, I will be with you. He's promising his presence. And I want to talk about the presence of God for a minute because it is the thing. It is the gift of God for us as Christians. He is with us. God sometimes changes our circumstances. He always gives us his presence. I cannot guarantee you today, no matter how hard you pray, no matter how faithful you are, I can't guarantee you that any of your circumstances will change. The greatest circumstantial problem you had was changed on the cross. So I don't know. I don't know if your cancer is going to be healed. I don't know if your kids are all going to act right all the time. I don't know if that, that job you've wanted is going to come through because you prayed hard. I don't know. I can't guarantee you changes in circumstances. Here's what I can guarantee you as a preacher of the gospel. If you're a Christian, you will have the presence of God. No matter what you go through, you have his presence. Now, let's talk about two ways to view his presence. The first way is very obvious if you understand the attributes of God. It is his omniscience. The truth is you always are in the presence of God in one sense. 
because he's everywhere at once. There's never been anywhere that God is not. He's always everywhere. That is his omnipresence. He is always with us in one sense. I know this is hard to believe, but let's say you're an Auburn fan. You accidentally ride through Tuscaloosa. God is there. (laughs) He is. That's right. You thought that only the devil lived on Bourbon Street, but when you walk down it, I've got a guarantee for you, God was there too. You've never been anywhere where he was not. He's in every country, every town, every room, every... There is nowhere God is not. So there's that. But let's be honest. When I'm in rough water in my life, I don't think about the omnipresence of God. I'll be honest with you. Because I don't necessarily feel that. Right? I don't necessarily experience that. It doesn't make it less true. I'm just not experiencing it. But I got great news today. God does not want you to just believe in the attribute of his omnipresence. As a Christian, he wants you to experience his presence. We call this his manifest presence. God's manifest presence means we experience it. And God offers this to believers. And this is really, really good. And in a moment, I'm going to show you how he does offer it to us. But let me tell you the difference. What's the difference in knowing God is everywhere, then experiencing it? Let's give you an example. Let's say that a billionaire came to Three Circle Church today. Not a millionaire, not a ma-ma-ma, but a ba-ba-ba, all right? (laughs) Billionaire. He comes. And he's sitting here right now. You don't know he's here, but the fact that you can't feel it, that you don't know he's here, that you can't experience that he's here, does not change that he's here. He's in the room breathing the same air you are. He's a billionaire. He's here. You just don't know it. But what if he manifests his presence so that everyone knows he's here and experiences it? He stands up and he says, hey, I hate to interrupt, Chris, but I think everybody will want to hear this. I'm a billionaire, not a ma ma ma, but a ba ba ba. And I'm going to give everyone in the room right now fifty thousand dollars. In that moment, if you're a guest, you're going to become a member of Three Circle. You're like, I love this church. This is a great church. Your wife's like, I don't like the preacher. Like, I don't care. Fifty grand a week, I'm here. Love this place. But what that guy just did is he manifested his presence. He was here, but then he made his presence known. God manifests his presence. And here's the beauty of what Jesus has done for us. We can tap into the manifest presence of God all the time, at any time we want. This is unbelievable, but it's so ordinary that we miss it. Because in Christianity, we have this weird tendency to minimize the ordinary means of grace that God has provided for us in our lives, and we go chasing weird stuff. We just go chasing weird stuff. Like, I want God to speak to me in this way, man, and I saw this thing on Christian television the other day, and I've been reading this book about this new thing, and I'm always like, you scared me. Because there are ordinary means of grace that God has given to us that actually aren't ordinary at all. They're extraordinary. And they are the way we can immediately be in his presence, manifest presence, experience his presence. And they are these things, the word, worship, prayer, and fellowship. And it's why we build our church on this. And it's why we keep coming back to this because this is the way the Christian can experience the presence of God at any time by the word of God, the worship of God, the prayer to God and fellowship with other believers in God. Now they're going to let that sit there for a second. Folks, first of all, the word. Every time I open the word of God, I'm interacting with the manifest presence of God. This is the revelation of God. 
This is why we say, read your Bible every day. You read your Bible every day, you're interacting with the living God. And sometimes I interact with the living God and his word slaps me around a little bit. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I leave and I'm like, ouch. Other times I read it and I'm so encouraged. Sometimes I read the word and it convicts me. It steers me. It's like a surgical knife coming down into my heart. It, it shows me things I need to change. It helps me be a better husband, a better parent, a better dad, a better pastor. I, it's the power of the presence of God in his word. It's sitting in some ordinary book. Secondly, when I worship, I step into the presence of God. Where two or three are gathered in his name. When we worship God... God inhabits the praises of his people. Think about that for a second. These are more than just songs. When I worship God, anytime, by the way, you don't have to have the team and lights and screens. Like you can worship on your back porch. It won't sound as good. Let me warn you. Sounds good to God though. You will be in his presence. Prayer. That's why you pray every day. That's why Paul said, pray at all times. Why? Because Paul wanted to be in the presence of God and he knew when he started praying, he was in the presence of God. Prayer is not about you changing God's mind to do what you want him to do. Prayer has always been about you getting in the presence of God. You need his presence. And finally, fellowship. When I fellowship with other believers, God manifests his presence where two or three are gathered. These are normal, not, nothing weird about, this is just the things God's given us. But they are the things. You don't have to go chase anything else. This is it. This is the way God manifests his presence to us. And it's awesome and it's beautiful. And it's why we've just decided we're going all in. We want to build environments for all ages where we can be in the word. We can worship Jesus. We can pray together and have fellowship together. And we think God does great things through that. Yes. Three people are with me, but I can tell that all the, all the campuses are. I can hear all the campuses. The multi-sites are in all the way. When I was a kid, I learned how to swim in a river. I don't know if you learned how to swim in a pool, but a river is a different thing. And it was terrifying. Dark water, we had alligators, we had snakes in this little river I learned to swim in. And I was really scared of the water, but there was this neighbor of ours, this friend, Randy Couch. He passed away a few years ago. One of the most kind men I've ever known. And he was so kind to me, and he wanted me to learn to swim. And here's how he would do it. Weekend after weekend, we'd go to the sandbar. All, you, all my country folks out there know what a sandbar is. Some of you are like, what do they serve at the sandbar? Nope, you got it wrong. It's just a sandbar. He, the water, the current was strong in this river. And he would say, Chris, here's what I'm going to do. He would say, I'm going to get downstream from you. And he would say to me over and over again, I don't want you to be worried at all. I just want you to practice kicking and holding your breath. I can hear him saying it and moving your arms. And he said, don't worry, the river's going to pull you, but it's going to always pull you to me. I'm standing right here. Don't worry. I will never let you by me. I'm going to be watching you the whole time. And you know what? If he would have ever missed me and let me slide by him, I would have never trusted him again. <laughs> but do you know what? The first time I was so scared and nervous and I'm kicking him and I run into Randy and he picks me up out of the water. Go do it again. And I started trusting weekend after weekend. And then one day I could swim in the river. 
And it was because, listen, Randy never made the current weaker. It was always strong. Randy never said, don't worry about those gators. They don't have teeth. They did have teeth. He never said, don't worry about the snakes. They don't bite. They did bite. All Randy ever said to me was, I'm in the water with you. Every time you swim, you're coming to me. I'm not getting out of the water. As long as you're in the water, I'm in the water with you. And that gave me, that's what Jesus is telling us today through his word. He does not promise to calm the water every time, to make everything okay. No, he promises, I'm with you. And you can go through anything if I'm with you. That is our confidence as believers. And finally, we are loved. We're loved by God. He's in the water with us. Listen to what he says. You are mine. He says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you walk through the fire, I'll be with you. I am the Lord, your God. Hear his words to us. I'm your daddy. That's what he's saying. I'm your father. I love you. In Ephesians, we get these beautiful words about the love of Christ for us. You may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, like we can't even comprehend it, that you may be so, if you will begin to think about the love of God, it will fill you up. That's what it's saying, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Not a, listen, not a lesson on how to swim better. When you get in the rough water, here's 10 ways for you to swim better in rough water. No, the confidence of the believer is an ever-present God in the water with us. That's where our confidence is. And we believe here at Three Circle, we've said it many times, God is close enough to hear our prayers, but he's big enough to answer them. He's close enough to watch us swimming in the water, big enough to pick us up when we need it. He's with us. He can handle us. The problem is, is we often only celebrate the rescue. We only celebrate when it goes the way we think it would and should. But what if we learn to celebrate the presence of God in all circumstances? Let me give you the comparison here. When I was a kid, I loved the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many of you remember that story? Three young men, they're in Babylon. There's Nebuchadnezzar. They build a big statue. They won't bow down, though. Uh, so they're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. And we were able, actually, through a lot of research, we have an original photograph from that day. <laughs> the joke never gets old. It's just a bad preacher joke. As a kid, I would see all these pictures, and I was always, as most kids would be, totally taken with this. King throws them into the fire. They're supposed to burn up. They don't burn and are rescued because God is in the fire with them. The king says, there's four. I threw three guys in there. There's four guys. As a kid, we would have revival preachers come, and they all, they all had their Shadrach, Meshach sermon. And in the Pentecostal church, it was really, you get on that fourth man in the fire. The fourth man in the fire. It was awesome. I loved it. Band would start playing. Mm, mm, mm. Everybody start praising the Lord. Fourth man in the fire, baby. And I loved it. But what often gets missed is what one of those three guys said to the king right before they threw him in the fire. He said, we know God is able to rescue us, but if he does not, if he does not rescue us, we still will not bow down. And what I love is those three guys had really deep maturity and theology for their age. They knew there was not a guarantee that the fire wouldn't burn them, but they knew that God was with them. If it burned them, okay, we're not bowing down. 
Now let's fast forward a few years. 1500s, William Tendo is strangled and burned at the stake. Why? He was a part of the Reformation. He did two things that got him in trouble. He believed that salvation, the gospel, was only by faith in Jesus and began to teach that. And he wanted to translate the Bible into English so everyone could have one. That got him branded a heretic. They tied him up, they strangled him, and they burned him. And they said that his last prayer he prayed out loud before he died was this. Father God, open the eyes of the king of England. And he died. And you look at that story, and man, it's kind of hard to strike up the band, isn't it? It's hard to celebrate that. But do you know what happened? A year and a half later, the king of England, who he prayed for, completely authorized the Bible that he had translated. And that Bible went all over England, began to change the world. And you ask yourself the question, was God good to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but did he abandon Tyndale? Oh, no. Oh, no, he was just as good. And he's just as good when he's with you and I in our rough water, too, because the point never was the rescue. The point was the presence. And we are guaranteed his presence. So today, I don't know what you're facing, but my prayer is this encourages you as a Christian to know that I don't know what will happen with your circumstances, but I know who will be with you in them. He is with you. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. I pray that we would be encouraged by it. Do what only you can do through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.